the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. To get a complimentary copy of Dave's book and a complimentary consultation, call 877-GAINS-4-U or MortageFinancial.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land... We unleash the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, good morning. It is seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we are underway. It is the 30th morning, the penultimate morning of the month of January in the year of our Lord, 2024. You do know. Seth, you know what penultimate means, right? Uh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, what, you want to let everybody who doesn't know know? No, I mean, if they don't know, they should probably just look it up. Yeah, yeah, that's probably, well, that's one way to go. That's yeah. one way to go. Yeah. Penultimate, for those who don't feel like looking it up or don't have a uh, a little uh, Googling machine handy, although you should never use a Googling machine, use a search engine, just not that one. Do not help support that company. They're bad. They're evil. They really, really are. But for those who don't have a searching machine in front of them, penultimate means second to last. So it's the second to last morning of the month of January in the year of our Lord, 2024, and it's a big one. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to talk to uh, Ohio District Number 5 Representative Bob Latta, Congressman Bob Latta. He's also the Deputy Whip of the uh, House Commerce Committee, and uh, we're looking forward to talking to him about a host of things, including um, whether or not uh, the U- the uh, Congress should vote to take military action against Iran after they killed three American soldiers and injured and wounded dozens more as just part of the latest attack. Multiple attacks on American bases all throughout the Middle East. We're going to talk to him about that. Also about the Mayorkas impeachment, which could come for a floor vote soon. We're going to talk to him about that. He is also working very, very hard. Is um Bob Latta on repealing the death tax 
and also on uh, promoting vocational education versus four-year colleges, which are bankrupting kids and obviously indoctrinating them into ways they shouldn't be indoctrinated. So we're going to talk about all those issues at 9.35. At 10.10, it's, of course, uh, it's a Kersenau day. It's a Tuesday. Peter Kersenau will be with us. He has thoughts on, well, everything. And at 11.10, AEI, that's American Enterprise Institute's Max Eden, will join us. He wrote a piece for the Washington Examiner, How Conservatives Can Directly Defund DEI, which should, of course, D-I-E, D-E-I should die uh, in K-12 education. So we're going to talk to him at 1110. So three good guests, and, of course, you at 216-901-0945 when the mood strikes you and when we have an opportunity for you. 216-901-0945. Go ahead and save it. All right, we'll hit the topics of the day in a moment, but first, let's pledge. Patriots, stand. Face your flag. And put your hand on your heart and join us for this. And don't forget, I want your pictures. All right? Send us your pictures of your flag where you pledge every morning. I like it. I like to put a little gallery together and throw it up on my social media and wherever that wherever I can. People used to send me those, and I would put them up on my webpage. But uh, I let that webpage expire, so we just have the social media thing now. So I'll put them up there. Send me your pictures on social media. Direct message, private message, on, on Facebook, at Always Right Radio, on uh, on uh, uh, Twitter or X at uh, France Rants or on Truth Social at Always Right WHK, anywhere you can find me. Send me your pictures of what you pledge to each and every day. If you are not a believer in the glory and the exceptionalism and the liberty and the Constitution of America, then don't fake it. Just be the good little Democrat Marxist that you are. Did I say Democrat Marxist? Is there another kind? Democrat Marxist that you are. And uh, take a knee. While the rest of us stand proudly and say what needs to be said, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, let's follow up on uh, the horrific uh, uh, drone attack on American soldiers and whether or not and what we are going to do about it, if anything at all. First of all, know this, that the drone attack on uh, the American soldiers was not the first. It was just the first one to kill people. As I said yesterday, and you've probably been paying attention, um, they're hitting our bases all over the Middle East. They are testing us because we have shown exactly what we are with Joe Biden at the helm of the United States military. Weak. They have tested us, and we have failed that test. The Biden administration, according to multiple reports, the Biden administration does not want to act. They do not want to to start some kind of war with Iran. They do not want some sort of a retaliation that's going to lead to an escalation of tensions. And I'm thinking to myself, what the living heck does that even mean? Tensions are already pretty doggone escalated. They just killed American citizens. I'd call that escalated. They, They wounded dozens more, and some of those may die. I'd call that escalated. What are we going to do in response? John Kirby, the National Security Council spokesperson, said yesterday he does not, and the White House does not want to escalate the tensions. We're not looking for war, he said on NBC. Obviously, these attacks keep coming. We'll keep looking at options. May I just suggest, and I'm sorry if somebody's going to call me a warmonger, and I'm sorry if somebody's going to call me uh, you know, a Bush neocon, Bush-era neocon. I'm sorry, but if attacks keep coming and you don't punch back, guess what? The attacks keep freaking coming. 
And I'm sorry about that. That's just the reality. Kirby said, I can't speak for the Supreme Leader or whatever he wants or, or what he wants or doesn't want, but I can tell you what we want. We want a stable, secure, prosperous Middle East, and we want these attacks to stop. Gee, I wonder if you get on your knees and say, pretty please, Mr. Supreme Leader, pretty please stop the attacks if that will work. Last time I checked, a, a little weak kid on the school, brow, school ground being punched in the face repeatedly by the big bully, getting on his knees and saying, please, please stop, doesn't stop bullies. The only thing that stops that bully is kick him between the legs. Kick him right in the onions as hard as you can. Make him feel the pain, and then he'll stop. For crying out loud. How many times do we have to allow Americans to die in the face of, of Middle Eastern terrorists without doing anything? This is the worst thing that's happened since Joe Biden in 2021 in the disastrous, disastrous withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan that killed 13 of them for crying out loud. I mean, we literally have no response whatsoever when Middle Eastern terrorists kick us in the teeth. Not when uh, there is a Democrat in the White House. That's the reality. And I'm tired of it. Tom Cotton, Senator Tom Cotton for uh, Arkansas, from Arkansas, tweeted this yesterday. Joe Biden emboldened Iran for years by tolerating attacks on our troops, bribing the Ayatollahs with billions of dollars, and appeasing them to no end. He left our troops as sitting ducks, and now three are dead and dozens wounded. Sadly, as I've predicted, what happened for months. The only answer to these attacks must be devastating military reaction against Iran's terrorist forces, both in Iran and across the Middle East. Anything less will confirm Joe Biden as a coward unworthy of being commander-in-chief. On behalf of Arkansas, I extend my deepest condolence to the families of our brave fallen soldiers. May God comfort them as he welcomes their loved ones into his embrace. And may God quickly and completely heal their wounded comrades. Agreed. 100% agreed. So what are we going to do? Are we going to just continue to be as weak as Joe Biden appears as a nation? Because that's exactly what it looks like our plan is. We don't want to. We don't want to upset the supreme leader. The supreme leader is funding the war that the Hamas terrorists have declared on Israel. The supreme leader is funding the attacks on Israel, also from Hezbollah to the north in Lebanon. The supreme leader is responsible for funding the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, an offshoot of Hamas. The Supreme Leader is funding the attacks on American military bases all throughout the Middle East. But we don't want to upset the Supreme Leader. I don't know what he wants, but we want peace. You want peace when you're getting the hell kicked out of you. You're going to continue to get the hell kicked out of you. I don't know if there's any other way to say that. Meanwhile, a dozen UNRWA, this is the United Nations Organization, have been proven to be in planning and executing stages of the attack in Israel on October 7th, which, of course, is also an attack on the United States. The Biden administration said, we have cut funding to them. The Biden administration lies. Maybe you've read that, that the Biden administration froze funds to the UNRWA, the uh, operation in Gaza, run by the U.N., 
after the explosive and credible allegations that a dozen of them were involved in planning and carrying out the terror attack of October 7th, the Trump administration, the Trump administration, mind you, the Trump administration stopped funding this corrupt organization way back in 2018. Biden, as soon as he took office, quickly restored that funding. Now this move blows up in his face. Biden has belatedly and apparently temporarily stopped the cash flow to uh, UNRWA. But just as we saw with the Houthis climbed on, remember Biden took them off of the uh, uh, foreign terrorist list, then watched the Houthis continue continue to attack American uh, interests, American ships, and more. Suddenly the Houthis are, well, they're a special designation terrorist organization, not, not necessarily on the official foreign terrorist watch list or a, a terror designation list, but a different one of their own. I, I don't know how many different ways a person can be wrong about national security and about foreign affairs than Joe Biden is, but that's literally what he is. Anyway, the point being, they told a half-truth. They lied, essentially, because they said they stopped funding. But they didn't. What they did, what they did it has been discovered, is they paused funding on new commitments. But they plan to continue to use U.S. taxpayer money to fund their current projects, despite evidence of the group aiding and abetting terrorism and the attack on Israel. It is impossible to justify. Impossible to justify. Meanwhile, here in the United States, on our southern border, Joe Biden continues to tell the the tale that he needs to have uh, uh, a, a special authorization given. He needs to have this bill passed. He needs to have a new law to give them the authority to shut down the border. He needs somebody to do something to allow him to do what he has always wanted to do, which is close the border and protect the country. I don't know about you. I am so sick and tired of the gaslighting. But he needs nothing. He needs absolutely nothing else. Biden can stop the flow of illegal immigration right now. Here's five things he can do. In town hall, they laid this out to blunt the current invasion without one single action from Congress. One single action. Nothing needs to change. One, reinstate the Remain in Mexico policy for those claiming asylum that would immediately cut down on millions of false asylum claims and years-long immigration court backlog. Two, end the catch and release into American towns, cities, and communities. Three, use the Immigration and Nationality Act to suspend the entry of all aliens or any other classes of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restriction that he deemed to be appropriate. Four, restart construction of the wall, which is a joke. There is no wall. This is something I'm going to hold Trump accountable for, too. There is no wall. Did you see the video that Hugh Hugh was talking about this morning? A bunch of uh, 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 vertical columns that, that just go to a certain point and then they stop. And what are the what are the illegal aliens doing? <laughs> They're just walking around the wall. That's not that's not a wall. I think Hugh Hugh called it. It's an obstacle. It's a slight obstacle. The one that they can very easily walk around, and that's exactly what they're doing. Where's the wall? Miles of wall are currently sitting stacked up and rotting in lots, ready to be put up, and they won't do it. And that would include making sure that there is a barrier at the end of said wall up against natural barriers so that it cannot be simply walked around. We didn't get our wall. 
President Trump had two years of full control of the Congress. He couldn't even convince the Republican Party to give us the funding for the wall. And since he said Mexico would do it again, I'm going to continue to point this out, he could have made Mexico pay for it. He chose not to. He could have taxed remittances from illegal aliens from Mexico and from all countries, quite frankly. Anybody coming here, working and sending money back to their home countries, there's a 5% tax on every single nickel that goes out. That's it. You do that, you'd have enough money to build a hundred walls. He didn't do it. He wouldn't do it. Number five, reinstate asylum cooperative agreements with El Salvador, Guatemala, and Honduras, which forced the asylum seekers to file claims in their home countries first. These things can be done immediately. They do not need any special uh, agreement or special legislation. This is all Biden's way of trying to continue to funnel money to Volodymyr Zelensky in Ukraine. Period. Point blank. Speaker Mike Johnson. Uh, was talking to Greg Abbott in Texas. Speaker Johnson uh, completely supports what Greg Abbott and the Texas uh, government is doing to put up their razor wire and whatever border obstacles that they can, and in the in the process, ripping Joe Biden's policies. Um, Johnson said that under the U.S. Constitution, the federal government and the state of Texas have a dual and complementary responsibility to exercise police powers to protect the health and safety of the people. Sadly, President Biden and his administration have undermined that security, creating an ongoing catastrophe on the southern border. And while we fight for the federal government to do its job, it is the expectation of the U.S. House of Representatives that the Biden administration will not interfere as Texas fulfills its responsibilities. Strong statement. Accurate statement. Glad to hear that Speaker Johnson has said that the ridiculous bipartisan Senate deal uh, to to uh, in, to strengthen border security in some weak way. I don't even know how they can call it strengthening when they're going to allow 1.8 million illegals to cross every year before Biden would consider, quote-unquote, closing the border. But uh, Speaker Johnson said it is DOA. Let it come over here. We don't care. It is no way in shape, in no way, shape, or form going to come for a vote or pass the House of Representatives. So that's just the reality of it all. Closer to home. Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost strikes again. He has rejected the proposal for voting rights expansion in the state of Ohio again, which is phenomenally important. We need to continue to support and thank um, Speaker or excuse me, uh, Attorney General Yost for doing that. Uh, this is, of course, the attempt by the left to steal elections, to try to make it even easier for people to vote a 100 different times in a 100 different places without any election integrity whatsoever. And Attorney General Dave Yost said, quote, the title Ohio Voters Bill of Rights does not fairly or accurately summarize or describe the actual content of this pr- 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 proposed amendment. Excuse me. The highly misleading and misrepresentative title of this amendment is sufficient on its own to reject the petition. But he did go on to point out there are other elements of the petition that were um, inaccurate or less than accurate or confusing or misleading, which is why he rejected it. No, we are not going to allow people to mail in votes and people to register on the same day and automatically get registered for voting anytime you go to the BMV and all the other nonsense that the left is trying to do. So Speaker Rios needs our support on that. Update on yesterday's story on Ford. Ford has announced their 2023 EV fleet, which was not going to uh, carry AM radio as they expanded that fleet, now says it will. Ford announced it will continue to offer AM radio to drivers of uh, all of its fleet, 
Uh, we will offer a software update for any owners of Ford EVs without AM broadcast capability. The car maker tells Inside Radio that they have already started offering the update and will continue in stages across the nation. This is enormously important, as I exp- expressed yesterday. They're trying to silence me. They're trying to silence Hugh. They're trying to silence Seb Gorka and all conservative media and radio personalities across AM radio, which, of course, is the only place you can go to get the other side of the story of what they're telling you on uh, the mainstream media, and, uh, mainstream media and on PBS, which, of course, is taxpayer-funded left-wing misinformation. Um, there was a landmark COVID vax injury win. I'll tell you where later on. Huge. Landmark. Very important. Somebody sued the government for forcing vaccination, and a uh, teenager who got pericarditis from it, sued and won. It's a huge story. We're going to talk about that. Um, in one red state, not New York or, or, or California, any of the blue, in a red state, parents have lost custody of their daughter because they refused to let her go and get cut up by a surgeon. That's right. They refused, quote-unquote, gender-affirming care. The red state took custody of the daughter from the parents. She's now in custody of the state. What? Yeah. This is this is the fight. Fifty five percent of Democrat voters uh, want a candidate in 2024 that prefers open borders and they want Senate and House candidates that prefer open borders as well. Ask begging the question, why do Democrats hate America so much? And uh, Utah has passed a bill. The opposite of this other red state has passed a bill banning DEI and men in women's bathrooms. So we've got those good stories. So all of those, that's kind of the rundown of the things I want to talk about today. We've got three great guests. Again, Bob Latta, Ohio 5, going to join us. Pete Curson. Buddy, the answer. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, 935. Good Tuesday morning to you. Don't forget we got Curson out directly from... The uh, Civil Rights Commission coming up at 1010 this morning. I want to uh, welcome to the program now U.S. uh, Representative Robert Latta. He happens to be my congressman, Ohio 5. He's a deputy whip, member of the uh, Commerce Committee, chair of the Communications and Technology Subcommittee as well, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. Congressman Latta, good to have you back on the program. How are you this morning? And you know what, Bob? It's just Bob on this end, too. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I, I, I try to, I try to uh, make sure that I uh, use the professional titles out of oh, respect for the office. But, but, uh, this is Bob. Thanks. Well, that's kind of you. Thank you. So, um, okay, let's a number of things that I want to get into, and I just want to start off. I know this isn't something that's come before you yet, but um, everybody on the Hill seems to have an opinion as to what we need to do about three dead soldiers in Iran. Three dead soldiers, dozens more wounded, and I don't know how many different strikes at or near U.S. military bases across the Middle East we have seen. But many people, myself included, feel like they will not stop that until somebody punches them in the face, the way bullies are always uh, shut down. Uh, but some don't want to escalate tensions. The uh, The administration, uh, John Kirby said yesterday, we do not want to escalate tensions in the Middle East. we got dead Americans and more on the way if we don't fight back. So what do you want to do if this comes to, uh, comes to a House vote? Well, let's just look at this administration in general. When you think about what happened in Afghanistan with that absolutely disaster, uh, what they pulled uh, at that time when all of a sudden we see images of people trying to flee the country and you see uh, an air base that uh, we pretty much just turned over to the other side. You see that uh, in what happened with the 11 Americans that were killed, 
in the in the blast over there, and then also mm-hmm. with the, you know all those that were wounded. Mm-hmm. Then you look at uh, what's been going on in the uh, Middle East, and especially you have to go back to the source. Where, where they get these uh, the Houthis and everyone else getting their money from? It's in their weapons. It's Iran. Mm-hmm. And what did this administration do? You know, it was pushing to give them back six billion dollars, and they said, "Oh, don't worry, they're not going to use it for any uh, aggression." Uh, they'll, they'll use it for other means. And we all said, you've got to be kidding us, that uh, you're going to give them $6 billion, and then they're going to use it against us. And then, you, as you mentioned, all the different strikes that have been occurring, we should have been retaliating after each one of these things. But just to say, well, we're just going to sit here and take it, is not what these people understand. And, if, and you know, this has escalated now that we now know that in the sea around the world, especially in the Red Sea, where, you know, about 50% of the shipping is no longer going through it. So, you know, it's going to have to take the long way around to get around, uh, and that was the whole idea, uh, getting through the Suez and, and uh, to get shipping quicker. So, you know, the United States, the military has been on, on uh, station out there, you know, with a couple of our battle groups. That, uh, But at the same time, we cannot uh, let them keep this up, and the United States has to be firm, and we have to say, uh, you know, we're going to strike. And we is it, think about what happened with Ronald Reagan. Uh, if you go back with Reagan, uh, with the strikes against Libya at that time, uh, with uh, Gaddafi, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he started living out in the desert because he was afraid that the Americans would find him someplace in a building. And all of a sudden the problems we were having there stopped. But if you don't take firm action, this is what we're going to see occur and keep occurring. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. I mean, I know I do understand nobody wants to have a war in the Middle East uh, break out any bigger than the one that's already going on in Gaza between Israel and Hamas. But uh, the reality is, if we do not do something, they are going to continue to do what they are doing and seeing how much further they can push us, how many more Americans they can kill uh, and how many more uh, bases they can target before we actually do act. So and you're right. Uh, Iran funds all of the terror activity in that region, no matter who it is committing it. Um Let's come closer to home now. I'm going to ask you about our southern border. We're going to get to a few other things about the district in a moment. But, uh, you know, you're watching the same thing I am, and we're being told that this bipartisan Senate bill that provides uh, uh, supplemental funds for Ukraine to continue in their battle against Russia and some aid going to uh, Israel and some to, uh, to Gaza and so forth, all of it tied to allowing what is it 5000 a day 150000 a month 1.8 million illegal crossings a year before Joe Biden would consider quote unquote closing the border um again this is a senate uh, bill and it's got bipartisan support speaker johnson said it's doa if it comes over here are you a part of that yeah you know i've been to the border four times now and uh, again I wish I could tell the American people and the people of my district that things have gotten better. They've gotten worse. This administration with this president on day one pretty much said the border is open. And, uh, you know, the president right now has the authority to do all kinds of things from remain in Mexico uh, on parole authority. Looking at the uh, uh, asylum, you know, staying in your own country until over 93, 94 percent of all the asylum cases are rejected because it's not on political it's on economic grounds and you know it's the other big part of it is uh, we've heard the same thing and i tell you what i feel bad for our border patrol those men and women are down there on station 24 7 and they've told us oh numerous times and uh, i've heard it every time i've been down there if you just give what they said years back give us let's put up erect barriers and we can stop 
you know, uh, well over uh, 90 plus percent of all the traffic coming across. And that's just not human, but also all the drugs, the fentanyl that's killed 73,000 Americans last year. So, you know, the, the House Republicans, you know, we, we brought forward H.R. 2, which is a good, solid piece of legislation, the best Border Patrol bill, you know, for, in decades. And mm-hmm. to say that, look, these are all the things we have to do. And uh, but I think that, I believe that the speaker's right. They bring that bill over here and it's, it's dead on arrival. Well, I'm glad to hear that it is dead on arrival. Dead is what the um, uh, uh, position for, I'm trying to find a, a gentle way of saying this, but uh, is what needs to happen with the career of Alejandro Mayorkas. He is being impeached, or at least there is a vote today. Let me rephrase. There's a vote today in the Homeland Security Committee to um, uh, to get two articles of impeachment out to potentially a floor vote. Um, when this comes to a floor vote, can you tell us how you will vote, and can you tell us what your thoughts are on the job that Alejandro Mayorkas has done on that border? Well, first of all, if you're if you're a secretary uh, in the cabinet and you don't listen to the people on the ground, and I'm, I'm telling you, I, I listen to Border Patrol uh, agents, I listen to upper, higher end Border Patrol, and you know, you think to yourself, man, those people must not want to keep their job very long, the way they're talking about their higher ups. And if you don't listen to your people on the ground that are doing this job, as I said, 24-7, there's something wrong. And and then also, you know, when the secretary last week came out and said that 85% of, the, of those that are coming across the border are being released in the United States, uh, you know, and so when you look at the, we're talking, that's coming through the uh, committees, that uh, when you look at the uh, breach of the public trust and you also look at the uh, willful um, and systemic uh, refusal to comply with the law, the law the law is pretty, it's, it's out there. What he's supposed to be doing, he's not doing it. And so I, I believe that uh, this comes up for a vote, that uh, we on the, on the Republican side are going to, and again, we have a razor-thin majority here, and, and when I say razor-thin, it's razor-thin, that, uh, you know, we'll vote to uh, make sure that uh, we uh, send this over to the Senate uh, for impeachment. Because, again, uh, he, he has not has done his job. And uh, I'm not sure the guy can always say in a straight face, either before the TV cameras or when he's uh, in committee being uh, grilled, that uh, he's doing his job. He isn't doing his job. And then you look around the country, what's happened, as I said, when you think about 73,000 Americans died in 2022 alone just from fentanyl, and fentanyl is coming from where? Well, the drugs, the, the chemicals are coming from communist China into Mexico and then shipped to the United States. When you think that Border Patrol, just that what they caught uh, and interdicted, was about uh, 12, 12 to 13 tons of this stuff this last year, and this is enough to kill every American many times over. And so... Yep. The guy is not doing his job, and uh, he deserves to be removed. Yeah, 100% uh, willful and systemic neglect of his responsibilities. And, yes, I, don't, I agree with you. I don't know how he can sit in front of congressional committees and Senate committees under oath and in front of TV cameras and say the words, the border is secure, the border is closed. It's just impossible to understand. We're talking with um, Congressman Bob Latta, Ohio 5. <clears throat> you um, gave, out a, gave a statement over the weekend I uh, wanted to get you to follow up on as well about the Biden administration's decision to uh, stop the LNG exports. And, and again, he said 
uh, when he came into office. In fact, I think he said when he was still campaigning in 2020 that he would and they would kill fossil fuels in America. Uh, he said, we're going to do it. Uh, read my lips. One of those kinds of moments where he said, we're going to kill fossil fuels and doggone it. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't joking. He is and they are. Can you tell us your thoughts on the LNG exports? Well, I'm a senior member on the Energy and Commerce Committee, mm-hmm. and we worked years back making sure that we kept getting our energy production up in this country. You know, Americans might remember back in the 1970s when we were being told that Well, we didn't have any uh, oil. We didn't have any natural gas. And because we turned the entrepreneurs loose and the innovators in this country and we put the right uh, laws in place, that we are now, you know, number one in the world when it comes to uh, natural gas production. We can outproduce Saudi Arabia or Russia on any given day in oil production. But what the president has done, uh, saying that, uh, you know, uh, making sure that uh, on the permitting side for new uh, permits going out, we need to be producing more, not less. And he he doesn't understand that, uh, you know, since uh, uh, Putin is financing his war and wars in in all of the uh, subgroups around the world with the uh, energy that they make in uh, Russia, that, uh, you know, the Europeans and other places, uh, countries around the world, they want American LNG. And by us uh, producing that LNG, it also makes sure that we keep our production up and getting new fields out there. And so what the president's done is pretty much said to Putin, you know, the door is open for you again. And uh, even uh, I saw the, the Washington Post this morning in their editorial. They, you know, it's just like, that. no, we can't do it. And when you think about more, a liberal uh, publication like that saying it, uh, it that's unbelievable. But, uh, you know, we have to make make sure that we do what we have to do in this country, and that is to gain North American energy independent. And I say North American because, you know, we have energy that crosses back and forth across the Canadian border, and, which is our largest and, and uh, closest trading partner that uh, we can we can assure the American people that we're not going to be shut off like they are over in Europe with the Russians at the whim can uh, just shut off the flow of natural gas or oil. So uh, what the president's done is once again trying to say that, the you know, to his green energy, you know, bowing down at that altar, mm-hmm. that it's like, folks, uh, this is what they're going to do. And it's just, for the rest of us, it's like, no, we're not going to do it because we have to make sure that we do everything we possibly can in this country to keep America strong and great. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really hard to comprehend some of the decisions. And you're right; it is indeed bending at the knee to the uh, to the, the to the green energy. I call them gang green uh, to the uh, the green movement. We're talking to a state rep, or excuse me, uh, Congressman Bob Latta. He is a congressman for Ohio's five. He happens to be my congressman. I want to talk education just briefly because I saw on a couple of your. Um, uh, Twitter posts that or X posts, I guess it is now. Uh, your visit to Lorain County's JVS. Talk to me about the importance of vocational education at a time when so many kids are going to four-year colleges, getting indoctrinated, getting degrees in things that they or not even finishing school, but coming out of there with massive loans anyway, and expecting Joe Biden to uh, to forgive those loans. Uh, they don't have to go there. They could go to vocational ed and learn a trade and do something that's actually constructive for the American economy and the American infrastructure. Can you tell me how important that is to you? Well, it's really important, and i tell you why. You know, if I'm having a down day, if I go to one of our joint vocational schools and uh, see what the students are doing there, I come out feeling you know, like, wow, I feel, I feel so much better now. 
that what these kids are or what these kids are learning and doing. When we were there, eighth graders were coming in from the different school districts to take a tour. So as they came in the ninth grade, these kids are being uh, shown all the opportunities out there to make a great living. We were in one uh, electrical class, and I tell you, I've got to admit that when it comes to electrical, I'm a little bit nervous about it, and I, I'll change a box. Uh, uh, an electrical box at home or something like that, but, with, but wiring, um, that's by me. But here you got juniors in high school doing this. We talked to the uh, uh, instructor that day and just the kids going out on internships in the one class. I think he said they, they made just in their internship over the summer, not individually, but overall, about $82,000. And so, you know, kids can go in there and learn a great trade from plumbing to electrical and engineering, you name you name the different area, uh, healthcare kids wanting to be uh, uh, nurses and, and furthering their degrees from there. Then, but uh, th- this is what we have to be thinking about because uh, we have to have all these people out there being able to perform all these uh, chores and tasks and jobs that uh, are absolutely essential to this economy. And so that's why I, I'm a firm believer when I go through our JVSs or our two-year uh, community colleges, especially when I was over in Lorraine and visited the school there, that uh, they're, they're doing great things there, and uh, kids are uh, learning a, a, a living, a trade, and, uh, and it's not racking up $100,000, $200,000 uh, in uh, school loans that uh, maybe they'll never pay off. Yeah, well, you you even commented on that too I, I, about uh, the the Biden. I think it's four times now, four times since the Supreme Court told him he could not forgive student loan debt unilaterally the way he and the administration are. He's done it this time. It was five billion dollars for seventy four thousand borrowers, and you called that uh, a slap in the face to every American who works hard to pay back the loans they take out. Well, you know, I said the first when the, when the Biden administration, the president first came out with this whole uh, statement a couple of years ago that they're going to start, you know, making these mass uh, uh, givings away of uh, taxpayer dollars and forgiving these loans that people took out. It's just like, wait a minute, what about the people that work their way through college? What do you tell them? Well, thanks very much. We're now we're going to tax you to to, to uh, uh, pay somebody else's loans off. It's, I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. But you know, this is one way. That they're looking at, boy, we we got to uh, look around, and it could help our votes in the fall or something like that because we're going to forgive these loans, and you can't. It's just absolutely incredible that. The, and, and the other thing is, we're thirty-four trillion dollars in debt, and less than probably two and a half years, we're going to be paying a trillion dollars to pay interest on the national debt, which we don't even have a trillion dollars to pay that off. And uh, then the next question is, where are you going to get the money from? Well, we owe we owe foreign creditors now. $7.6 trillion, and uh, this is what makes this absolutely unbelievable that they come up with this stuff. Yeah, it really does. And uh, Congressman Latta, I know you've got to go here. I've got two minutes left with you. I just want to ask you about the death tax, because I know that's something that you signed on with um, – uh, just what last week, two weeks ago, whatever it was, talking about the uh, uh, the death tax and uh, Representative Randy Feenstra has uh, has led a repeal of the death tax. This is something that's been talked about for a very long time, and there's never anything done. What makes you think that uh, this is something we can get done now? Well, first, I've been anti-death tax uh, ever since I went to the Ohio legislature. It was my legislation way back when that I got rid of seventy-eight percent of the filers. Unfortunately, I couldn't convince, uh, uh, after I got that done, uh, a couple of governors in uh, in the legislature we need to get rid of the last 22% after I went to Congress. 
Ohio finally did get rid of the last 22% here in the United States. You know, uh, a death tax is what I call the cold hand of government reaching into a warm grave. And, uh, you know, you've already paid taxes on these assets, and what are they doing? The government wants it more, wants more of it. And when you think about uh, entrepreneurs and, and uh, small business owners and farmers and everybody else out there, that uh, all of a sudden then it's like, how do, we, how do we try to keep this as a family business if we're all of a sudden we're going to have to pay such a massive amount in death taxes? And I just warn everybody right now that when we were able to get uh, with President Trump signing the legislation with our tax legislation back in 2017, that all expires on December the 31st. 2025. And so the death tax, which we were able to bump up by double of the exemption, goes back to where it was in 2017. So figure inflation and everything else, that uh, often that's being eaten away at. And so the best way to take care of this is just to abolish it. It needs to happen. And uh, I've had legislation on it, and but I support the legislation to get rid of the death tax today. Congressman Bob Latta, uh, I completely agree with you, and I certainly hope there is enough support for doing this. It is simply uh, unforgivable for the government to double tax every single nickel that you earn on the way in, and then, of course, when you are on your way out. Uh, Congressman, thank you for fighting that good fight, and for all of the others, we really appreciate your time. Hopefully we can talk to you again soon. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, sir. Thank you. There's Bob Latta, uh, my congressman. He's working hard. I have confidence he's going to vote the way I need him to vote when it comes to that impeachment issue and when it comes to uh, doing what's right uh, with respect to the border and also with what's uh, doing what's right with respect to Iran. I think he's uh, on the right side. If you've got thoughts and you want to follow up, we'll take him at 216-901-0945. But be aware, we're approaching the 10 o'clock hour on a Tuesday. You know what that means. Everybody knows that that means it's cursing our time coming up. Right. Why can we not hear that very well? Oh, let's ch- to get a complimentary copy of Dave's book and a complimentary consultation, call 877-GAINS-4-U or mortagefinancial.com. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Already then, hour number two is underway at seven minutes past 10 o'clock. On this Tuesday, the 30th and penultimate morning of the first month in the year of our Lord 2024. Hey, Seth, you know what penultimate means, don't you? I guess I do. Yeah, well, did you want to inform our listeners? I no, I think that you don't be lazy. Look it up. Okay, well, just I, I thought I informed everybody at the top of the first hour there, including you. Uh, but <laughs> I'll take you at your word that you knew. Yes, it is the second to last month, morning of the month in the year of our Lord twenty twenty four. Thanks again to a Congressman Bob Latta. <clears throat> and he's doing good work. He's not as visual or meaning uh, he is not as. Uh, um, uh, how do I want to phrase it, public uh, with his work as Congressman Jordan is. And we'll talk to Jim Jordan tomorrow, by the way. In other words, he doesn't do a ton of media, but he is effective. He is very effective, and he is doing the right things, and he is uh, backing the right things, I believe, uh, on uh, Capitol Hill for us. So thanks to Congressman Lada. Let's welcome this guy. You know him. You know since, the tu- it's, since it's Tuesday, rather, uh, what it means. He is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights, the longest such serving member in the history of that. 
that commission. He is an attorney. He is an author. He is a columnist. He is a radio host. He is a, what the hell else does he do? Oh, he happens to practice law. Did I say that part? I think I said attorney. I know I'm missing something. But he's also the host of the Kersenow Report. Let's welcome Peter Kersenow. Back to AM 1420, The Answer. Peter, good morning, good sir. How are you? I'm not sure I can live up to that introduction. That's uh, that's pretty daunting. <laughs> what do you mean? You wrote it for well, me? <laughs> Just read the script. Left, you left out the Heisman and the Medal of Honor. I mean, so <laughs> there's that, yeah. So, uh, AP, before we get into the real work here, would you have kicked the field goals or uh, would you have gone for it? Well, you know, I don't know what I would have. I, I tell you what, I was rooting for the Lions. I don't know about you guys. I, I mean, I just uh, uh, I, I was rooting, because the Lions are kind of like the, the Browns. You know, we've been. A, uh, I remember going to up to Detroit with my father and my uncle to watch games, uh, exhibition games between the Lions and, and the Browns, because they were the two powerhouses, uh, along with Green Bay a little bit later on. And, uh, you know, the great Lions players, Karras, Petrasanti, you know, uh, Lem Barney, I mean, the whole crew is really amazing. And, you know, they've suffered a drought that is maybe even more futile than the Browns. And uh, not maybe, they had more futile uh, drought than the Browns. So I was kind of rooting for them, and I kind of liked, uh, you know, the way they were approaching the game. Um, so, uh, you know, like, they'll be back next year. They've got good talent. They've got what I consider to be an outstanding coach. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I uh, two things. One, I didn't watch, but uh, but I peaked a little bit, uh, and of course, I see highlights and things on social media and everything else. So I found out about the field goal situation. I looked into that, um, you know, as he got criticized for that. But uh, the the second thing is, you know, they are there are only four teams in the entire league that have never been to a Super Bowl, much less won one. And I yeah. will have to say that when the if the Lions beat the Browns there, and the Browns are one of the last three, I'm looking at C.J. Stroud and the Texans. They look pretty good, and then the Jacksonville Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence. They made a playoff run, too. I'm just saying, man, I don't want the Browns to be the dead last team in the league to ever make a Super Bowl. But I'll tell you what, it's looking dicey. Yeah, that was part of my calculus also. I'm going like, I'm rooting for the Lions, but man, I don't don't want to make them to the Super Bowl and the Browns are going to lift out (laughs) their hanging, you know? I mean, because with respect to the Texans and the Jaguars, those are expansion, well, what I consider to be expansion teams. The Lions and the Browns are among, you know, well, the Lions are clearly, you know, among the original Browns, the AAC team, you know, but nonetheless, we are clearly, you know, an established NFL team. That would have been... A little bit too hard to take. So, yeah. but next year, there's always next year. And look, next year we've got. I'm, I'm presuming uh, the best running back in football is going to be back. You know, and we've got some really good talent. So, there's always next year. Browns fans know. Yeah, I, I think the best running back in football is going to be playing in the Super Bowl, though. Oh, uh, which Chris, one is that? CMC, Christian McCaffrey. He is well, absolutely you know, I think, spectacular. I, I don't consider him the best running back in football. I think he's like the best player in football. Um, I think you can make an argument for that. Yeah. See, I, he's, he's, I don't see, I don't look at him as a, 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 a you know, a, a pure running back. He does so many different things, catching the ball. And, I mean, he's, and he's got everything. I mean, he's got the speed, he's got the strength, but he does things that they, it, it belies, it doesn't require athletic talent. It requires smarts and determination. Um, and that's pretty impressive. He, you know, I, it, it, he ran for 1,500 yards and 14 touchdowns. That's the running back part. And, oh, by the way, he also happened to catch what are his stats. 
I had him before. He, I mean, he's he's not only is he maybe the best running back in football, I think he might also be the best player in football because nobody does it all the way that he does. Because you're right. Well, here, yeah, here's what separates him. You know, if, if my friend... Oh, here it is. 60, 60, uh, Pete, Pete, 67 catches for another 564 and another seven touchdowns. So that's... If yeah. I'm doing my math here. That That's that's a hell of a lot of touchdowns. And, uh, and, and that's about 2,000 yards from scrimmage, 1,500 to carry in it and, and another 600 or so... Ca- uh, running it. Go ahead. Yeah, childhood friend of mine who used to be a former Browns coach. We talk about the debrief almost every week. And I bet you he, if he's listening right now, he'll concur. The thing that's most impressive about Christian McCaffrey, in addition to his football smarts, is he blocks. He doesn't just catch and run. <laughs> he's the complete football player. I mean, yeah. no, seriously. I mean, um, I mean, Bob, you played before, and you know that your high school and college coaches forever would be talking about blocking and tackling, right? And those are the essentials. If you don't block, I don't care how many yards you run, you know, and, well, okay, unless you're Jim Brown, all right? <laughs> he's the one exception, but he's the greatest football player in history. But uh, that's what McCaffrey does. He's the complete package. No question about it. Okay, enough of the, the silliness with the uh, the Black Nat- National Anthem that's coming uh, in two weeks. I've got Larry coming on next week, by the way. He's livid about that, that they are going to do the Black National Anthem at the Super Bowl, I think, for the second year in a row. Uh, Pete, being a black man, you hear things like that. I mean, I know Larry's ticked off about it. Does that bother you? Yeah, it does. I'm an American. Uh, we have an, we have one national anthem. You don't have a national anthem for Mexicans, for blacks, for Chinese, for what? I mean, this is nuts. This is craziness. This too shall pass or must pass before or uh, otherwise we won't exist as a nation any, anymore. We are in what Robert Heinlein used to call the crazy years. And uh, so many nutty things going on that we're going to have to weather if those of us who are in positions to at least erode this nuttiness uh, don't completely eliminate it before that. But we're going to have to get rid of this. This, this is, it, it is anti-American in its essence. This is what progressives like. This is what the – I don't mean to be hyperbolic about this. You have to put everything in perspective. I'm going to use a term that it will sound hyperbolic, but it's just the theory of it. This is what Stalinists did. They understood that what you have to do is undermine the culture of the society before you undermine the society completely and take it over. I'm not saying there's some grand conspiracy here. You don't need a grand conspiracy. All you need is a bunch of like-minded people marching in the same direction like lemmings and not being cognizant of your history, number one, and number two, of the deleterious effects that this naturally will have, regardless of what the history is. You can sense that when you've got this kind of division, as as well-meaning, quote-unquote, as this may be, it's going to have negative effects on society. Yeah, and, and you know, it, it is... It's just called division. I mean, it's Marxist in nature, and this is all it is. I mean, here's the anthem for the non-black people, and now here's the anthem for the black people. It's division. It's CRT. It's it's gone from yep. the classrooms into the corporate, uh, you know, uh, boardrooms into corporate America, and and now into our culture everywhere. You know, there there are you know, blacks are different. <clears throat> blacks get their own this, their own that. They, they self segregate, and yes, even their own anthem now. And it's just a way to divide blacks from whites, or essentially all races and ethnicities from one another in an effort to to let us uh, crumble from within that this i don't think this is even a uh, it's even a question the, the the question is why do we allow it why do we support it and it's because one of the reasons the why i like watch. it the most right the people who like it the most are not the progressives necessarily although they love it it's the chinese the iranians 
they love this kind of stuff. They like they they understand intuitively the kind of division this sows. And a divided America is a weaker America. And look, they've got no pretensions about wanting to have hegemony over you know much of the world. And they're and the Chinese are moving very quickly to establish that. And we are asleep at the switch, especially with this administration that keeps denying these realities. Yep, very, very well said. Okay, Pete, let's dive into more important issues right now. Three dead U.S. soldiers, dozens injured, and this is one of um, uh, maybe a dozen or two attacks on American bases uh, throughout the Middle East. Iran is behind all of it, not some of it, all of it, because they fund the Houthis, they fund the uh, Hamas, they fund Hezbollah, they fund Palestinian Islamic Islamic Jihad, uh, and they're responsible. So now we have ourselves a dilemma. Nobody wants to go to war with Iran. Nobody wants to start an actual war in the Middle East, but we also cannot allow them to kill American citizens and not respond. Otherwise, our weakness is portrayed to the rest of the world, and everyone will declare it open season on the Americans. We have to stop that. I don't think Biden is strong enough to do it. Yesterday, Kirby said, uh, we don't want to do that. We don't want to escalate things. We want peace in the Middle East. We don't want war. But what are we going to do? They killed American citizens, Pete. What would you do? Well, you know, I, um, I'm i not smart enough to understand what you're supposed to do. So I look to history and look at people that are smarter than me and look at similar circumstances. This is not the first time the United States has been through this, especially in this region and especially with this adversary. We have a number of examples. I mean, well, we have one example, one clear example as to what to do, and we know how effective it is. Um, and again, I may be a little bit off on my history uh, on this. I wasn't thinking about this until you just posed this question 15 seconds ago. But back, some of us are of a certain age, so we remember this. Back in 1979 and 1980, when we had the Iranian hostage crisis, a number of things were going on. Reagan came in specifically to make sure, not specifically, but to make sure that the hostages were released. Immediately upon his inauguration, Iran released the hostages. Why? Because Reagan had made it clear what the ramifications were of messing with America. And I'm using those terms, I'm using from some very nice terms to describe that. Well, the Iranians, apparently thinking that we were occupied by the Soviet Union, which we were, decided, uh, it was several years later, it was maybe around uh, in Reagan's second term, that they were going to hit a number of American targets. And they did. They hit a bunch of American targets, um, oil, oil platforms, and I think they hit a couple tankers, not American tankers, and a frigate, blah, 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 blah. They hit, they hit a number of targets. And so Reagan didn't rattle sabers, didn't do anything, didn't say, you know, stop doing this, stop doing that, didn't send his diplomats to go out there and rub their hands and say, we don't want to start wars or anything like that. He just immediately turned around, destroyed three Iranian battleships, battleships, dozens of naval vessels, a couple of jets. I think he sank two Iranian oil platforms, which cratered their economy for a period of time. And it also caused Iran, remember this, it caused Iran to agree to a ceasefire with Iraq. Let me say, big deal, you know, we hated both of them. But yeah, it, they agreed to a ceasefire with Iraq in the Iraq-Iran war that lasted for about seven or eight years. All of that was a decisive action, okay? And nobody messed with us after that. Iran didn't mess with us for a long time. They said, so, uh-uh, we're not going to do that again. They continued to chip away at us constantly with their proxies, the Houthis and others, and it's Iran all the way around, and everybody knows it. Everyone even says it. What we have here, though, is we've got an administration that projects weakness, 
Mm-hmm. You and I have both said a number of times, a number of people have said it in the past historically, that weakness invites aggression. This is the weakest administration of my lifetime, including the Carter administration. And it's inviting aggression. And we've seen multiple debacles. At least the Carter administration had some competent people in it. I'm not saying that this administration doesn't have competent people in it, but the people who are visibly in charge of defense when they're around, when you can find them, uh, of statecraft like Blinken. Remember Blinken. Here, the Secretary of State, the guy who's in charge of dealing with foreign powers, just before, it was like a day or two before October 7th, says, this is the most peaceful the Middle East has been in our lifetime. And then we have October 7th. And now he's had to turn around and say, well, you know, this is the most volatile. This guy is the Secretary of State and apparently has never read a history book. I'm exaggerating, obviously. He's probably read history books. But they're guys who read, and they're guys who read and understand real life. This guy does not understand that. So now, here we are. It's the opposite. It went from being the most volatile to yesterday. He's or the, 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 the quietest just before October 7th. I think it was like October 6th he said that. To yesterday, he says, it's the most volatile it's ever been. I, I raise that not to just simply cast pejoratives on the Biden administration, which I'm always happy to do, but to tell you the mentality of the people who are in charge of our foreign policy. And that's the reason why we have adversaries hitting us like this and people taking advantage of us. And it's not going to stop until Biden is gone. They understand. What, uh, nobody wants a war. Everyone understands that. Nobody wants war. But it, I, it didn't strike you, Bob, that it was really peculiar that everybody in the administration who was speaking on this issue first prefaced everything by saying, well, we don't want a war. We don't want a war. As if we're afraid of Iran. Iran should be shaking its boots about the United States of America. And if a Reagan or a Trump were in charge, they would be shaking it in, in their boots. And frankly, no, they wouldn't because they would not even try to do what they did. Look at what the response is for, uh, from somebody like a Trump. He got rid of Soleimani. Boom. That, that quickly, you know, just get rid of him. Remember what his responses were when there were attacks in the Middle East uh, within two months of the administration. He was sitting at dinner with Xi. They come up to him and say, hey, look, here's what's going on in the Middle East. And with Xi, he says, wipe him out. Xi's eyes no doubt got big, and they were quiet for the next for the next four years of the term, didn't do a thing. That's what you well, have to do. It's unfortunate that you have to do something like that. Yeah, it is. That's part of statecraft. But the question is, is, is there a Soleimani that you can target here specifically and just one person to take out that will end all of this, uh, or it, does it have to be broader? And that, of course, would lead to a broader conflict, which is what everybody is trying right, to avoid. Right. Pete, we're going to take a time out here. We're going to try to uh, reestablish contact. We're getting a lot of crackling on your line. Not exactly sure why, but we're going to try to reconnect that, and this gives us a chance to catch up on something than being able to see the birds frequent your feeders. So, as you know, the staff is red at Copley Feed on South Cleveland Maslin Road in Copley. Check them out today. Okay, it's 1027, so a little bit of a <clears throat> odd block here, Peter, because we have a short uh, period of time here to get the, 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 the uh, border discussion started. But let's do this part. Um, Joe Biden has declared he will close the border. He will close the border, admitting, acknowledging he can close the border if and when that bipartisan Senate bill gets passed in the Senate, passed in the House, and sent to his desk for signature. That 
would uh, allow 5,000 illegals to come through the United States every day. Uh, that's 150000 a month if you're scoring at home. That's $1.8 million per year. It also sends billions to Volodymyr Zelensky in Ukraine and money to uh, the Middle East, for some for humanitarian aid in Gaza and some for Israel. Peter Kersenow, if he's admitting that he can close it uh, as soon as he gets what he wants, that means he is, by that definition, choosing not to close the border now. That means every single inch of this is on his plate, and he continues to try to blame Republicans, saying, well, they won't pass the bill. If they don't pass the bill, then we can't do anything. How does he get away with that? Uh, because he's got a media that chills for him, that doesn't hold him critically. That's how, the, how he does it. It's incredible with this corrupt, and I've, I've said this before, Bob, it's a corrupt media. It's not simply a biased media. This man is destroying the United States of America, and the media is concerned about Donald Trump. Everything, everything was better under Trump, except his tweets. We hated his tweets. I didn't, you know, I didn't care, because I thought his policies were outstanding, the best of my lifetime, everything from immigration, economic policy, you name it, everything. And all of that's gone to crap now under this president, because what has he done? He has specifically reversed each of these policies that have turned into debacles. He's specifically reversed Trump policies that were working brilliantly. They were working. And then he reverses them and everything goes to crap because they were Trump policies. He reverses them. It's the only reason. And now we're supposed to think that there's some other reason for this other than his his own malfeasance and nonfeasance and, and misfeasance. Wrong. And I think most people understand that, except for those who, and I've, I've said this before, there are a number of, a lot of very smart people out there who get all of their, me, their media fra- exclusively from the left, ABC, NBC, because most of the media is on the left. And they're smart, and, but if you're dealing with a finite um, uh, amount of information, you make your determinations based on that information. But most people, the rank-and-file people out here, who are, you know, just average people going about their daily business, they can't be concerned about foreign policy constantly They're trying to put food on the table. They get, you know, just kind of immersed in the zeitgeist of this media, and, you know, at least 40 to 50 percent of them think that Biden's at least not doing a bad job, and he's not the Antichrist like Trump is projected as being. Yeah, um, and and Peter, we're, we're going to take a break now because it's bottom of the hour here. But on the other side, I want to talk about who is really making the decisions uh, about our border policy. Um, you know, they're impeaching Mayorkas, and, and we can talk about that. But I want to go back in time just a little bit. In fact, quite a bit. All the way, I'm going to go back 11 years. I'm going to read something for you, and I'll get your reaction. I'm sure you will have a very, very interesting reaction to this to find out. And as we kind of explain, really, uh, who... The future. Choose AmeriCorps. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always right radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1034, we continue now with Peter Kersenow on AM 1420, The Answer, getting commentary on all the most important issues of the day. And right now we're talking about our southern border. Some video uh, was run yesterday by Fox, and um, it shows the complete... um, uselessness, if you will, of the quote-unquote border wall that was constructed, the small, small, small portion of it that was during the Trump administration as uh, just streams of illegal migrants walked one end of it and walked right around it and came right on in. Um, so this, of course, is, uh, is, is a crisis. The question is, is who's responsible for the crisis? Is it just the Joe Biden administration, or is it much deeper than that? Peter, I'm going to read a quote to you. From 11 years ago, this is from 2013, and I want to see if you know who said it. Quote, my dream is a hemispheric common market with open trade and open borders. Sometime in the future with energy that's as green and sustainable as we can get it, 
powering growth and opportunity for every person in the hemisphere. End quote. Peter, do you know who said that back in 2013? I don't, but it does sound like kind of like an Obama saying. I don't know. Close, very close. It was Hillary Clinton, which, of course, yeah. is, um, you know, uh, the, the point here. You and I both believe that Barack Obama still has a massive influence over this current administration. I believe mm-hmm. that Hillary Clinton, who is a globalist, and her ties in the globalist community, if you will, all of whom share the same goal she does, open borders, open trade, open hemisphere. This is what is truly driving the Biden administration. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying they're calling him and telling him what to do, but the influence is there. If not, the direct orders are there. Um, what better way do we have to open up all the borders? in the hemisphere than for the single largest, most powerful economy and most uh, dynamic nation, the exceptional uh, nation of the United States in the world, if they open theirs. And that's exactly what we have right now. Your thoughts? Yeah, yeah a nation without borders is not a nation, and they're destroying the United States of America. Let's be, let's be blunt about it. And this is maybe not the precise aim of a Hillary Clinton or others, but it's something that many progressives are looking for. They hate the United States of America that they think is a pernicious influence on the world and, and one of the most pernicious influences in history. Just listen to what they have to say. Uh, I think it was David Horowitz who said, when you listen to a leftist talk, believe him. When they tell you precisely what they're going to do, believe them. It sounds fantastical when they say certain things, but no, they hate the United States of America. I'm not ta- again, I'm not talking about your average rank-and-file Democrat. Most people you know, are not even thinking about politics. Uh, but I'm talking about the folks that are true believers, and those true believers are the ones who make sure that they get to, into positions of power or assist those who are in positions of power. And I know some of them within this administration because I served with them. I'm not going to mention any names, but I'm here to tell you that description I just gave is, is true. They, they, they dislike the United States of America with a passion. They think that we are what's wrong with the world, and they think we have a horrific history. And when you've got that kind of perspective, you're going to be doing things either intentionally or unintentionally that are not in the best interests of the country. The, the border is, I mean, the border thing is just completely out of control. You, all of your listeners know this is the worst circumstance in the history of the United States when it comes to protecting the border and one of the most dangerous threats for a whole host of reasons. There are th- uh, threats with respect to terrorism that we've talked about, about before. I've cataloged the number of terrorists coming across um, on the terror watch list. I mean, we've got that we know of hundreds of people on the terror watch list crossing the border. It's, it's an astonishing thing. The principal obligation of our government is to make sure we secure the border, and they've just completely abdicated that. And in a time of rampant terrorism where one terrorist can do untold damage, that is un- inexcusable, and frankly, it's impeachable. We should have been impeaching Mayorkas a long time ago. I know politically it's probably not sustainable to, to impeach Biden, but sometimes you've got to go through the motions even though you don't want to do it. The Democrats will impeach at the drop of the hat, and you don't want to replicate that, but nonetheless, there's certain things that merit it. When you don't perform your specific principal duties as commander-in-chief, that's impeachable, but clearly, Mayorkas. But think of the damage that's being done to the United States of America. This morning, um, you know, I, I was up at about 4.30 to watch some news, and you see what's going on in Chicago, where black neighborhoods in Chicago uh, the people there are upset because illegal immigrants are taking over. They're sleeping in, in bus stations. They're sleeping and they're taking over grocery stores, everything of that nature. And those people are really, really upset. And, you know, I've cataloged before, both on the Civil Rights Commission, I think on your show, the fiscal drain that illegal immigrants cost. And this is what Biden is doing. 
the fiscal drain of each illegal immigrant on the United States budget, because they take in more in benefits than they, they contribute in taxes and, and uh, fees, is 68000 per illegal immigrant. 59% of illegal immigrants or of illegal immigrant-headed households use welfare. 59%. We're talking about um, uh, welfare benefits at bare minimum. Just We're not even talking about TANF. And, we're just talking about specific welfare assistance. $42 billion. The cost of public schools. We've got 4 million or 5 million illegal aliens, children, in public schools. That costs approximately sixty-eight. billion billion dollars and goes on and on health care costs and, and crime it's it's extraordinary what's happening and the the you can't say that they're doing things meaning the administration that benefit the united states of america when they do that so what are what are they trying to do i you know a lot of it used to be a conspiracy theory but they're trying to implode the united states of america so that they can restructure it the way they'd like to um that what other I mean, it, when you talk to somebody, if I had said that, say, a couple of years ago, I would even check myself into a mental hospital. But look at the evidence and come to a different conclusion. What would anyone do who, I mean, what else could they be doing, in other words? What else would you be doing if you didn't want to collapse the structure of the United States of America? And by doing so, and I don't mean, you know, some kind of grand conspiracy theory, you know, or some grand takeover, but by doing that, it enhances the party that is the party of government, because everyone's going to be clamoring for more government to rectify the problems that the government caused in the first place. Yeah, that is um, that is very well said. And I, I've got numbers from FAIR, that's our friends at the Federation for American Immigration Reform, that showed just how bad it got in 2023, Peter. Um, 3.2 million illegal alien encounters in just the calendar year 2023, all part of the 9 million plus so far that we know about, uh, in, uh, in the Biden three years, three year term. 140,000 of them are unaccompanied children. That means an average of just under 400 per day unaccompanied children showing up in the United States and crossing the border. 772,490 aliens made eligible for temporary protected status. Uh, 876,000 plus paroled in the first nine months. Two million pending asylum applications clogging the system because of the wide open border. And 30,000 pounds of fentanyl have come across that border just again in the calendar year 2023. And Pete, how does the Biden administration deal with this now that we're in 2024? They get the Supreme Court to allow them to cut the razor wire that the state of Texas is putting up to try to at least protect the people of Texas who are United States citizens and then threaten when Texas puts up more razor wire to commandeer the Texas National Guard that Biden would take that guard and put it under federal control and make them stop this. Pete, he sent forklifts out to the border to scoop up and raise the razor wire like a bridge so that the illegal migrants can cross into it. I mean, it is as brazen as it gets. They don't care. And in fact, they will they will go to the courts if that's what it takes to allow them to continue their open borders and to make the numbers that I just gave you uh, to increase increase upon those in uh, in 2024. Bob, the people who listen to your show and maybe a few others, people who listen to maybe conservative talk radio, they know that maybe, you know, Fox to some extent does cover it. But the vast majority of Americans, I say again, because I talk to a lot of people. 
uh, that are, you know, range in intelligence from, you know, the very smart to the not so smart and, you know, and everything in between. But I would say the majority of people don't really understand or appreciate all those things, or I'll do credit to them. They're too busy with their own lives, as they should be as Americans, to really think critically about these things. We shouldn't have to. That's why we're Americans. We shouldn't have to, and we have a government to think about those things. But given everything you've just recited, all of which is correct, think about an administration, first of all, that would do something like that. Um, They have completely abdicated their initial responsibility to protect the sovereignty of the United States and the safety of the American people. But at some point, there will be a reckoning. It's astonishing to me that people within the administration and other Democrats who are aware of these numbers would permit that to happen because they're vulnerable. What do you think? Terrorists are are going to excuse them? That's not going to happen. And make no doubt about it. There's going to, or have no doubt about it, there's going to be an attack. I wrote about it months ago, and I remember getting some attacks because I had wrote about the coming terrorist attack on the United States soil. Uh, And now, just last week, scores of former intelligence officials wrote a letter. I don't know if you saw it, but it, I did. it, it should it, yeah. And I maybe talked about it too, knowing you about, but it, they wrote a letter. And I think to some extent, with all due respect to them, it was a CYA letter. They wanted to be sure they were on the record because they didn't want to get hit, uh, you know, blamed for anything that happened ostensibly while it was on their watch because this has been going on for a while. Okay. But they wrote a letter that the media didn't cover with uh, the kind of alarmism that it typically does when a Republican is in office. But they pretty much said, look, there's going to be a hit because of the open border. (laughs) What do you expect? Thousands of Chinese nationals, tens of thousands of military-age Chinese nationals coming across the border. And when you see them, they all look like they're, you know, the Chinese version of the Navy SEALs. And... Thousands of Russian nationals are coming across the border. I mean, it's amazing what is happening. Our media is not covering it to the extent they would have if this had been um, something that augurs against Republicans. They're not covering it, and what they're doing is not just a disservice. It's nearly treasonous not to cover this, because what they're doing is not covering enemies of America. Okay, for all of those people who are fainting on their couches right now because I was so mean to illegal aliens, look, the millions of illegal aliens coming across, that doesn't mean all of them are terrorists. I'm not saying that. It doesn't mean all of them are criminals. But all of them do not belong in the United States of America unless they come in our generous and wide-open front door and declare who they are and go through all the protocols that every legal American immigrant has done from time immemorial. Those folks did that, and they were proud to do that. I don't trust anybody who comes in the back door. And when I see them, look, I have not seen a whole lot of people that look to me to be economic refugees. They may not be, you know, Bill Gates, but they don't look like economic refugees. And none of them, very few of them are coming from war-torn country. None of them talk about being persecuted. They just want to come to the United States of America. Who wouldn't want to come to the United States of America? Now, Again, the caveat is of the millions, I'm sure there are a lot of fine people, okay? I'm not saying they're all criminals or terrorists or anything of that nature, but guess what? This is our country. We paid taxes for it. Many of us or our family members fought and died to preserve everything we have in this country. We don't take it cavalierly. You don't get to just barge into this country without even identifying who you are, and then our administration, to whom we pay billions of tax dollars, and they spit on us and call us names on top of it, gives you the money to travel all over the United States and not even identify yourself. 
you saw that in airports around the country, illegal immigrants are being waved onto planes. Waved onto planes. Go, come on, we'll take you wherever you want to go. Without IDs. Every time I've got, I've, I got that, uh, whatever it is, that thing where you, you know, it's a, I can't remember what, I, what it is. It, I, I fly enough, I should remember, but it's the thing where you, you know, put your uh, eye up on the virus and identifies who you are. You know, they don't have to do that. They don't have to identify them, so they have to present ID because they don't have ID. Let's simply wave you through and ask yourself this question. If we're doing that, I mean, this is the kind of stuff ordinary people think about. We're trying not to think about it, but we just talked about the fact that hundreds, if not thousands, of terrorists are coming into this country. The FBI acknowledges it. Former FBI agents wrote a letter saying that's what's happening, mm-hmm. and yet those people that we know are terrorists are being waved onto public flights. Where's our media talking about this? This is alarming. I don't mean to be alarming people out there, by the way, but this is something that needs to be addressed. You should be alarming. And, this is, and, why and do you Bob, think we have you on, Pete? We have you and, on to yeah, tell the but, truth so that we do alarm people. I mean, honestly, Bob, these are facts that people need to know. And here's what bothers me the most. When you just say it's facts people need to know, and Bob, you do yeoman's work better than anybody I know in, in the United States of America and all the talk show hosts. Here's what bothers me, though. It shouldn't be left to you, Bob, where... I, it just frustrates the heck out of me, and all of your listeners who've heard me speak know this is a pet peeve of mine. Republicans, 24-7, if they're going to do nothing else, I understand they're not in power, they can't control the legislative process, use the bully pulpit. Get out there and talk about these things constantly. It's good for two reasons. Number one, the American people need to know what's going on so they can help shape policy. And then number two is, hey, guess what, Republicans? It's the right thing for you to do electorally. It's a win-win. But most importantly, it's something that protects United States of America. And I understand that you're not going to get the kind of coverage that Democrat would for talk, be talking about a, you know, impacted toenail. <laughs> but you get out there constantly and talk about this stuff, because this is about the sustainability of our society. Nothing more important. Get out there, outlaw Josie Wales. Get plum, mad dog, mean, because if these times don't mandate it, no times do. All right. Uh, Peter Kersenau, very well said. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you're alarming people, because this, these are things people tune into here, and they're not going to get it in other places. They're not going to get it in, in the mainstream media. They're not going to get it even on social media, because these kinds of things are called misinformation and so forth and censored. So I'm glad you are, you are, you are willing to, to sound the alarm and tell the truth about what's going on. Pete, in the last uh, few minutes that we have here, I want to uh, go to a different story and a different uh, issue altogether. I'm going to tie two stories together, in fact. Um, there's a story that uh, I, I found on the Post Millennial about a school district in Rhode Island that has come out and said it out loud. Parents have no right. Not only do they not have a right to say what their kids do, they don't even have the right to, to, to uh, know what their kids are doing in school. Uh, there are, there's video of a school board meeting in which three different board members say it out loud. Parents should never be informed of their child's willingness and, uh, and, uh, intent to transition. They'll handle it at school alone. That's number one. Number two, the second story is from a different state, a red state. This is the kind of thing you might think of, of, of in New York or in California or someplace else, but, uh, this is Montana. To my knowledge, it doesn't get a whole lot more red than Montana. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I don't know. But in Montana, they are going into a different direction. A family there, two parents, Krista and Todd Kolstad, have had their child taken away from them. Their 14-year-old daughter, Jennifer, wants to transition, and they don't want her to. 
because she's 14. She doesn't know what the hell she's doing. No 14-year-old does. It's the reason we don't let 14-year-olds do a lot of things. But they don't want her to start a gender transition. And so she was taken away by Child Protective Services in Glasgow, Montana. Montana, I'm sorry, called Child and Family Services. They showed up to talk to the parents, saying that they're concerned about the kid because they got reports from the school, same story as Rhode Island, reports from the school that she's got suicidal ideations and so on and so forth, and you need to you need to let her do what she has to do to make herself feel better. But they, of course, opposed that, wanted to get her psychological therapy. She was kidnapped, essentially, from them by the state of Montana. She is going to be held in a place where they can, uh, I don't know, apparently uh, meet her needs, whatever those might be. Parents losing their kids. We've heard about rule or uh, laws like this being passed in Washington State and being considered, I think it was in New York. But this is in a red state, Peter Kersenow, so I just wanted to get your reaction. Yeah, it's a, this kind of creeping corruption um, that is going on here. Remember... This is something that started quite some time ago among progressives. Uh, one of the things, one of the little mileposts that people may remember was when Hillary Clinton said, it takes a village. That was a screaming siren to the rest of us, because we knew that what they meant by that is they wanted to indoctrinate and kind of control our kids. Okay, They thought that they were in charge and not parents. Conservatives are just the opposite. Nobody is in charge of our kids except for us the school nobody now we will permit other adults to have temporary authority over kids within our purview and only within our purview but you know nobody else no state and this is again i hate to bring this up but your listeners again this this is I, 10 years ago we couldn't even imagine talking about or using the terms lenin or stalin but this goes back mainly to lenin and they understood as, you know, just give me a child for four years and I'll have him forever. I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I can't remember the exact phrase right close now. enough. I have 14 other things on my mind, but that's what he meant. That's all they need. Just a few years and they will control not just the child, but the culture and society as a result. So when you heard Hillary Clinton first say it takes a, a village, many of us instinctively objected to that. And then you had, what's her name, Mosa Pera and MSNBC saying the same kind of thing. And it's that, again, that started maybe 15 years ago or so in a more visible way. They've been trying to do it for a long time. Um, my little, my, my view on this, for what it's worth, my two cents is resist mightily against this. Go to school board meetings. Go to council meetings. Tell your your uh, representatives, no way do we cede any authority over our kids except, in the old standard phrase, if the child is endangered. you got some crazy, palpably crazy parent out there who might be harming a kid. Those are few and far between, but society needs to protect those kids. But the rest of them, Parents have complete authority over them. And only from my personal perspective, I'm not threatening anybody, uh, and my kids are grown. I've got grandkids now. But if anyone tried to pull any of that okey-doke on one of my kids, it would be the last thing they pull. That's not a threat, Bob. That's a promise. And I think it's important that Americans continue to have that perspective because the best and most effective unit of government is the smallest unit of government, and that's the family. We've seen the debacle 
that federal government's huge bureaucracies visit upon countries, especially now the United States of America. Do not permit some disembodied, some remote character out there who have to take care of your kids' medical bills. That A teacher or school administrator, most of whom are phenomenal individuals, but a lot of these folks, you know, an increasing number it appears to be, are not. Or they're imbued with a woke ideology. But these folks have got to understand yeah. parents' rights, number one. We're the ones who take care of feeding them, clothing them, educating them. And they're not going to be there when the kids collapse or have some mental breakdown. It's the parents and grandparents have to take care of these kids. And Amen. that's what's necessary to have a successful and thriving United States of America. Yeah, I completely concur, Peter Kersenow, and I'll stand shoulder to shoulder with you with that promise you made. Not a threat, but a promise, because I'd, be, uh, I'd be making the same one. Another special guest for an evening with Dennis Prager. A perfect night out to get you motivated for 2024. Get your tickets now at medinagop.org. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Franz. On AM 1420, The Answer. All right, we roll onward now into hour number three. It's seven minutes past 11 o'clock on this Tuesday, the 30th morning, the penultimate morning of the first month of the year of our Lord, 2024. Thanks again to Peter Kirsten. Now, if you're um, a new listener or a somewhat new listener, you may not understand the... uh, the scope of what Peter Kersenow does. He he is the longest serving member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. When he comes on, he brings with him now 20 plus years experience on that commission. He's on his fourth six year term as an appointee to the Civil Rights Commission. Uh, and so he he has seen it all. And uh, as he points out, if you want to know what's going to happen tomorrow, take a look at what happened in the Civil Rights Commission meetings last year. He sees it all coming, and they are fighting very, very hard. Sadly, he and his other conservative colleagues on the commission are outnumbered, so they don't often get to um, impact decisions made by the commission. But he can express uh, with great detail uh, his opinions and views as a single member of that commission. So Peter and I talked a little bit about DEI and CRT, as we always do because it is so pervasive in this country right now. It's pervasive in our institutions, both academic and corporate, and uh, it has obviously found its way into our culture. And uh, that's a problem because DEI uh, must DIE uh, in and and very quickly. We are finding some some ground, by the way, on this, or or finding some you know making some headway. I guess is a good way to say this right now because of what is going on in the airlines 
what is going on at the university level, where they are promoting and put, and even at the medical school level, where they are promoting and pushing DEI, potentially, potentially impacting the health and the safety of Lord knows how many Americans. If people are getting jobs and getting appointments and getting accepted and admissions to schools and so forth because of what they look like as opposed to what their capabilities are, that could be a very, very serious problem. So we want to talk about it a little bit more now. And a great article in the Washington Examiner by Max Eden that I read, how conservatives can directly defund DEI, at least in K-12 through education. And if we can do that, the rest of it may take care of itself. So sign me up. Max Eden joins us now. He's a research fellow at AEI, which is the American Enterprise Institute. Max, thank you for joining us. How are you? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, tough shoes to follow with Peter Kirsten now, but I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah, Peter's uh, Peter's phenomenal. We talk to him once a week, and uh, we like people to know exactly who they're listening to because uh, he brings so much information to the table, and he brings credibility with him as well. Uh, as yeah, does your well, article. Man. Yeah, thank you. And, and as does um, as does your article, as far as I'm concerned, I read it with uh, great detail, which is why we reached out to you, or with great interest, I should say, and in great detail. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about uh, the funding. I'm going to start out with the $20 billion a year. I think you quoted the USA Today article as $20 billion with a B dollars a year um, is being spent on DEI training in K-12 through public schools. Tell us what that means and, uh, and, and put that into context. Yeah, I mean, you know, that is, uh, that is an absolutely massive amount of money, right? I'm not actually entirely sure how the USA Today got to that calculation, but it seems as though they looked at a number of school districts that had contracts for diversity training and equity training with their teachers and kind of extrapolated out of what they found there. And as you look at this article, you will see kind of contracts that they've covered uh, from states, districts in states like Florida. For example, the article said that $36 million per year uh, in one school district alone in the Tampa school district is going to DEI diversity training. And, you know, that ought to hit anybody who's kind of been following this at least halfway closely. Uh, It ought to hit them on the head a little bit, right? Because Florida, of all states, has taken the hardest and the harshest stance, I would say, against critical race theory. And make no mistake, DEI trainings peddle critical race theory. The most popular training, uh, according to this USA Today article, is a training called Courageous Conversations, which literally says critical race theory, right? So we're not even in the neighborhood of, oh, these are where the ideas come from, this is what they really mean. No, 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 it says it, you know, on the slides, in the book materials. And despite Florida passing a bill saying that no money shall go to any critical race theory training, turns out tens, if not hundreds of million dollars in the state still is. And, you know, that's one state amongst 50. So, Max, I think it might be helpful to 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 point out the difference between DEI and CRT, uh, even though one can be a component of the other, as you just pointed out that it is. Give give us a working definition for DEI as you understand it, whether it be overall or specific to the education level of K through twelve. Yeah, I mean, so I I would say you know critical race theory is as the other side will always say. Uh, a series of academic concepts that kind of take Marxist ideology, package it through race, and then critique various aspects of society. DEI can be thought of as the application of critical race theory. So Mm -hmm. taking those ideas and those concepts and trying to make it manifest, whether it be in the workplace or in the classroom. So 
you know, for example, when you go to classroom settings and you give DEI trainings to teachers, you will tell them to look at everything through the kind of CRT lens of uh, oppressor versus oppressed and the idea that you need to be culturally competent, which certainly to take one illustration when it comes to kind of school discipline and school behavior, suggests that, you know, there shouldn't be one standard for how students should behave. That's what could be called in critical race theory whiteness. Uh, teachers need to check their privilege whenever they're thinking about putting down rules. In fact, in enforcing rules can be an inherently oppressive act. And so it's better if you're a teacher to just let student behavior slide, especially if it's from a student in a racially oppressed group. And if classrooms get a little bit more chaotic in the process, if students aren't listening to you, if there's less learning, uh, well, maybe it's more genuine and authentic and the kids actually feel safer after all. So that's the kind of stuff that DEI trainings tell the teachers, which are all kind of downwind of the, of the higher kind of race Marxist theory developed in critical race theory. Okay, that's a great explanation, and I want to I want to build on that. Now we're talking with uh, Max Eden. Max is uh, a research fellow at AEI, the American Enterprise Institute. The article uh, that he wrote is uh, headlined uh, "Why Conservatives Can Directly Defund DEI," or I'm sorry, "How Conservatives Can Directly Defund DEI in K through 12 Education." It's interesting when you talk about oppressors and oppressed. The whole narrative of CRT is that people who are light of skin are oppressors and people who are darker of skin are oppressed no matter what. And yet the Mm -hmm. response to this or the remedy for this for those who are concerned about it is to start oppressing the people of lighter skin. And that is exactly what you just described. You mentioned courageous um, uh, conversations as being one of the DEI trainings. And you you mentioned uh, 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 unbounded as well or unbound Mm -hmm. ed, which explicitly teaches anti-white racism, insisting there's no such such thing as a good white person. So it sounds like they're building on what, you know, Ibram X. Kendi and the entire anti-racist movement wants to build upon, which is the only uh, the only answer for past discrimination is present-day discrimination. And the only answer for present-day discrimination is going to be future discrimination. The cycle will continue, and we will take those who have been typically oppressors or people who look like them who have been oppressors, and we'll make them feel the sting of oppression. That's It, it just sounds like it's nothing but a revenge tour. Um, yeah, in, in, in many ways it is, kind of when you go into the, the origin story of critical race theory, some of the original articles thereof, I mean, when I said it's kind of, it's, it's, it's race Marxism, I wasn't speaking <laughs> flippantly, I was speaking no. kind of technically, right, because it is downstream, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw, who wrote some of the original mm-hmm. articles, kind of framed her, uh, framed her work in the stream of Anthony, Antonio Gramsci, who was an Italian communist who had a theory of kind of cultural subversion to create a new class hierarchy uh, and a new party that would be, you know, the dominant ideological force in society. And it's very clear from her writings that that is essentially kind of the end game. The end game is to invert what she sees as inevitable racial pecking order, right? Like, uh, you and I tend to think that white supremacy was essentially, you know, vanquished, if not dramatically curtailed when we passed the civil rights bill because all of a sudden laws that said you know whites have these privileges blacks don't now said nobody has these privileges so to us that was the end of what we would call white supremacy but that is what they call a continuation of white supremacy so the civil rights act itself becomes a further tool of oppression and 
if you're going to make Can you build a claim, on that, Max? Explain that. How do they argue that? How do they make that explanation that the end of white supremacy by way of the Civil Rights Act is an extension of white supremacy? I'm, I'm failing to follow that. Uh, so, I mean, it, it, uh, part of the argument that they made is that it dramatically reduced the kind of political power, the persuasive political power of African Americans because they no longer had grounds to engage in group politics. Uh, and they couldn't, as she would say, kind of name their own reality and construct their own reality. And so I, you know, their argument would be by giving a formal legal equality within a system that has legacies of inequity, you're really not ultimately solving that inequity, but you're taking away whatever kind of moral power or tools that the formerly oppressed, you know, black people could use to uh, try to use the political process aggressively to improve their lot. So you kind so, of so, you've so taken in other words, away. Yeah. So in other words, they don't want equality. Mm-hmm. Literally, what what the Civil Rights Act brought is equality. They don't want equality because if there's equality, now we actually have to go and do everything on our own the way anybody else does, rather than get the. Um, not not literally in the war, in the way that it's being discussed right now, but the reparations that are due us, not giving us extra things because of things that were done to our our predecessors. Yes, yeah, calling us calling us all equal and telling us now everything's fixed after you've done that to us is not good enough. Is you know the most charitable way I can kind of put their argument. So DEI, um, it, it would appear, is going to be a never-ending. Um, uh, philosophy, a never-ending uh, uh, tool or, or mechanism for creating this 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 division. Um, because, I mean, at what point can someone then say, where would the end game be? Okay, you have made up for it now. You have paid the price. You, the oppressors, have been brought to to heal, and uh, we, the formerly oppressed, are now on a, on the same level, truly, and have the same opportunities, and have been given all of the redress that we sought. Um, that will that day will never come, right? I mean, th- this is going to grow in perpetuity. Uh, this, this division because that it seems like that's how it's built. No, I mean, kind of at its core, it's intended to be a one-way ratchet, right? Wherein mm-hmm. kind of diversity and proportion proportionality only ever means one of more group and less of the other, right? You don't hear calls for for greater diversity uh, for more men in nursing, for example. You don't hear calls for greater diversity in DEI. Uh, on the Dallas Mavericks, although there have been some, some funny tweets about that after Mark Cuban kind of stepped <laughs> into this whole thing. I saw those. Um, you really you really don't hear that. And part, But part of the, the more troubling thing, right, in the education context is, um, you know, although with a caveat that this is completely new stuff and measuring things is inherently hard, we have, you know, I think pretty persuasive evidence at this point that DEI and DEI-related programming actually exacerbates racial achievement gaps. It is bad, particularly for African-American student learning, for minority student learning. Uh, But it sells itself as a cure nonetheless. So you risk running into the cycle where you implement these programs that increase disparities, and then these increased disparities are the call for further implementation of these programs that further increase disparities, which proves the need for these programs more. Uh, and once you've bought into this theory of action, there's no backing out of it, unless, as I kind of suggested in my piece, uh, state legislatures themselves just kind of just cut the cord altogether. I don't really trust education administrators to see themselves out of this kind of uh, infinitely swirling one-way ratchet DEI situation that, that too many of them are just fully ideologically bought into. 
Well, you're exactly right. And, and in fact, uh, let's, let's hit that harder now because this is the point of your article. We've been spending so much time talking about the, 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 the silliness of DEI and the danger of DEI. Let's talk about defunding it now. You just mentioned it, uh, legislatively, uh, the two, the two pronged approach that you have to getting the funding, the 20 billion that's being given to these schools to, uh, to implement DEI. Tell us more about that, please. Yeah, and, and the first prong simple, the second prong might sound complicated, but it, it's also very simple to do too, right? The first prong is to actually name DEI, and it's kind of in, in legislative language, in statute. And it's funny, right, because uh, you sounds like you've been following all this stuff as closely as me. Three years ago, you could not find a Republican to say that he or she opposes DEI. <laughs> uh, it just sounded too good. How could you be against diversity? How could you be against equity? And so around that time all of the laws that were effectively, you know, that were practically geared against DEI programming all said critical race theory uh, or said things that intended to mean critical race theory. And so there was a kind of a, a linguistic slip betwixt the cup and the, and the lip in that. And that's why you see laws like in Florida where you think they've banned all the stuff and you find out, oh, no, no, wait, actually, this does not turn the spigot off whatsoever, which gets to the the second prong, which you know is kind of done in a in in one valence in a lot of things, it's pretty common practice for for government contracts. But the state needs to charge the state superintendent, or in Ohio, I think the governance uh, structure is a little bit different in the state board of education to maintain a list of vendors and to update that list annually, and to say to school districts, you simply may not spend taxpayer money on courageous conversations, nor may you spend it on brave talks if that's how some subordinates want to spin off an LLC to try to get around it. You need to actually create a list of materials that's updated regularly, that's kind of informed by executive discretion, and say these are just invalid uses of state funds. Yeah, and uh, you, you obviously highlighted Florida, uh, which is important, and, and you talked about that before. Is there, I mean, I don't know what different state legislatures or their, their rules look like, but is this something that could very easily be copied by other states? Yeah, it could very easily be copied. It's just a question of, uh, I mean, at this point, it will or it won't happen primarily based on how much attention state legislators are paying. <laughs> and, you know, if a handful enough of them are are are, are conscientious, right? I mean, we saw... And these CRT bans go from zero to 20-some states in about six months. Uh, we could see direct kind of DEI defunding mechanisms go from zero to 25 states in six months uh, if the first couple of states starts and it, and it gets picked up and noticed. And we're kind of we're starting to see it happen a lot more on the higher ed side. You know, Utah passed a law defunding DEI and higher ed. I feel as though those are also going to be laws that end up getting picked up in 25 states. And so it's just a question of legislative skill as to whether or not, while they're going against the collegiate level DEI, these legislators have the presence of mind to also remember that it's still an issue, you know, despite what you might think you did two or three years ago, it's still an issue in K-12. Yeah, and I'm glad to hear you say that about the uh, the higher education level of it. And it does give me some hope for optimism, by the way, or reason for optimism, the uh, fact that maybe 25 could do it if, if a couple get it started. But but I was about to say, you know, even if we do defund it at the K-12 through level, if the goal continues to be college for everybody, which it shouldn't be, but the left wants to make it, uh, you know, free college for all because they want to get everybody in there and get them indoctrinated, they're still going to be pushing this at levels that you can't even imagine at the university level. We just saw this, of course, watching the Harvard situation play out and 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 so forth um so i mean is there any is there any hope even if we are successful at the k through 12 level of trying to weed this out at the university level um so 
There might actually be. <laughs> it'll, it'll honestly depend a lot on the presidential election, frankly, um, because if Biden is reelected, uh, he has been pushing through the regulatory process these various reforms that would take me, you know, 25 minutes to detail and aren't mm-hmm. really worth going into the mechanics of, but ultimately turn college into an entitlement program. Um, you know, you can use kind of repayment mechanisms to make it so that people ultimately don't really have to pay. It's not technically free, but you're never going to bear a financial burden from it. You're going to have kind of de facto free college. And if he gets a second term, strong chance Biden affects this. And if it's free, it's going to be pretty hard to get people away from it. Um, on the other hand, if Trump wins in this uh, in this election, that's not going to happen. All the things that Biden's done to date on that will be reversed. And frankly, I think you could imagine President Trump going very aggressive uh, against colleges on these fronts. Uh, kind of, we saw under the Obama administration that the Department of Education can use its civil rights apparatus to force colleges to do what the federal government wants. It can force them uh, to adopt new rules around Title IX. It can force, whether it be kind of college uh, campus tribunals for sexual assault or you know transgender accommodation. Department of Education has the power to force colleges to do what it wants if it goes that way. And traditionally, Republicans have been unwilling to use that power because it violates the kind of limited government sensibilities. It's it's a little bit of a a governance monstrosity, if you ask me, on the one hand. On the other hand, maybe it should happen, and maybe the Trump administration would do that. Maybe they would go to say, hey, uh, it's our judgment that all DEI programming whatsoever creates a racially hostile environment. And so if you have any DEI programming whatsoever... Well, you're ineligible for for federal funds. <laughs> uh, and, hey, we're actually going to take away money from schools that we think are still discriminating at admissions. And if you want to keep your power to do admissions, uh, well, you need to run every single decision by us, right? I mean, you could imagine a Republican uh, Department of Education affecting kind of enough power over colleges to change to change some major cultural elements there. Yeah, and it's impossible to argue that it isn't creating a hostile, racially hostile environment, those things. I mean, it would be, regardless of which side you're on, if you're black or white or a different ethnicity altogether, it's going to be racially hostile, and therefore it could indeed be something that uh, is disallowed or funding is going to be revoked because of it. Max, I'm glad I brought you on because this is exactly what I was looking for as reasons to be optimistic because it seems like it is just one big, you know, body blow after another uh, when it comes to race and when it comes to DEI and CRT and these kinds of things here. So um, I do see some positive things here from the article. I appreciate you writing it, and I appreciate you coming on to discuss it with us. Thank you so very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. You got it. All right, there you go. That's uh, Max Eden. Max is, uh, again, the research fellow at the AEI, the American Enterprise Institute. It's positive stuff. I'm going to share that article on my social media as well. You know how to find me there, and if you don't, make sure you're on iTunes and the Google Play Store, keeping you informed among the uninformed. Always write radio with Bob France. On the answer. All right, it is eleven thirty-five. Thanks so much for being with us. We got one more segment to go. Thanks to my great guests. If you missed any of them today, that's um, that's a you problem. Come on now, get a step up your game. Turn the radio on at nine o'clock, or if you already had it on from you, uh, leave it on, and then you don't miss these kinds of things. We had some important guests today. We talked with Congressman Bob Latta in hour number one. He's doing a phenomenal phenomenal job. He is ready to vote for the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas, if indeed it does get to a House floor. It's got to come out of the House committee, uh, the House uh, um, 
uh, Homeland Security Committee first, but uh, we talked to him about that along with a host of other things you're going to want to hear. We've had Peter Kirstenau, of course, who brings it every single Tuesday on all of the issues from the border to the Iran response to uh, families uh, losing their kids to, uh, to um, I don't even know what kind of states to call them, Marxist states who literally kidnapped a, a child from their parents' home because the parents didn't want to uh, let that kid start puberty blocking and, and getting cross-sex hormones and getting cut up. How about that? A 14-year-old. Unbelievable. Anyway, we covered that with Pete, and then, of course, we just had the great conversation about DEI, defunding, with uh, Max Eden. So uh, all those conversations, if you missed them, they'll be available at whkradio.com on the uh, podcast page uh, about an hour after the end of the show. Seth, I'm going to need you here to do something for me before I take any phone calls, because we didn't do it yesterday, and it is, it is, it's viral. It's the number one do- downloaded song on iTunes in America. We're talking about a country that has Taylor Swift and, and you know, Luke Combs. And, and I mean, I, I don't even I don't know even... Who, who all the top, the top musical acts are right now. But of all of the top musical acts, you know, in which iTunes songs are available, the number one song in America is a rap song by Ben Shapiro. Of the of the Daily Wire, uh, one of the one of the smartest conservative voices uh, and and pundits and commentators in the world, De, uh, uh, Ben Shapiro teamed up with noted conservative rapper Tom McDonald for the number one. Seth, have you heard it yourself yet? I have, I have numerous, numerous times. times. You, you uh, I've not heard. I've heard like I don't know, yeah. thirty seconds of it because I just wanted to get a taste and see what it was all about. And and I've heard Tom McDonald rapping before. We've played some of his songs on this Good. program before. Yeah. Uh, but um, but I, but as soon it all I needed was a few words from Ben Shapiro. I wanted to know if he actually was rapping or if he was just <laughs> like, because you, you know you've you've heard like some places will say. Or some places. I mean, some artists will say, you know, here's a song featuring somebody else. Like, I'll give you an example. The Carrie Lake song, the one that we played, uh, the the uh, um, 81 Million Votes My Ass. That song just put some clips from Carrie Lake giving speeches in interviews in over the music. She wasn't, like, rapping to this song. Ben Shapiro raps along with Tom McDonald to the song. That's all I needed to hear to know that I wanted to hear the whole thing, and I want to hear it live on the radio. So uh, what's it called, by the way? It's called Facts. Facts. Yes. Just facts. facts. Like not the kind that you send it used to send back no, in the facts. 90s. Not F-A-X. F-A-C-T-S. I'm tell facts. you the facts. Yes. Yeah, we're going to give you the facts. I have not even heard the whole song myself, but I wanted to hear it live here so I can give you a true, honest, not rehearsed reaction to it. And I want to hear yours, too. So, Seth, give us facts by Tom McDonald and Ben Shapiro. They call me offensive, controversial, so these two genders, boys and girls. They can't cancel my message because I'm the biggest independent rapper in the whole freaking world. Claim that I'm racist, yeah, all right. I'm not ashamed because I'm white. If every Caucasian's a bigot, I guess every Muslim's a terrorist. Every liberal is right. I don't want to talk to folks who don't get it. Go, whoa, whoa, broke. The hope is pathetic. Pro-choice pronouns, pro-love, you're progressive. But you ain't pro-gun, no one to protect it. Where the American flags at? Remember when people would hang those. They've been taken down, they've all been replaced with BLM flags or a rainbow. The same rap, the same money, cars and clothes. We ain't selling drugs, we ain't gonna overdose. We ain't pushing guns, ain't promoting stripper poles. We won't turn your sons into thugs or your daughters into hoes. I don't care if I offend you. I was 
around it and I wanted to fast forward to a part where Ben was rapping because I wanted to find out if he was rapping or if they were just playing clips of Ben Shapiro, you know, in a speech or something. And nope, nope. It's, all I heard was a few words of him rapping. I was hooked and now I got the whole thing. Said that have, was phenomenal. You have to watch the video though because Ben's in the entire video and he's wearing a hoodie. He's got his hoodie up. And yeah, you got to watch the, the entire video on, online. I will do that too. We'll have to put that out on our uh, on our social media feeds as well. I'll put it out on Bob France on Twitter. Just look for my last name, F R A N T Z France Rance or Bob France, and we'll put it on Facebook as well. But that was every bit as awesome as I had hoped that it would be. Um, Tom McDonald, by the way, Seth, have you listened to him before? A lot. Yes, I have a Spotify channel of Tom McDonald. Yes. Do you really? I do. Yeah. That's impressive. I didn't. I didn't know he had a Spotify channel, by the way. But I will have to <laughs> look into that. I don't do Spotify very much, other than for certain podcasts. But um, and not for the music thing, so I'll have to definitely look that. But that was that was awesome. I, I and you know it's those kinds. Of <laughs> you mad? You mad? You mad? You sad? You sad? You sad? He's reaching out, and I. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.